Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. And today's guest telling the stories behind their musical memories is a household name, one of Ireland's most popular actors and entertainers. It's a pleasure to welcome Pat Short. And Pat, can I take you to when you were 15 years of age? I can't believe where you headed off at that young age. Tell us about it. Hi, you Des. Um, yeah, it's funny to think of it now. I like madness. I know looking at my own kids. But when I was 15, I went to London working for the summer. Uh, from Turles, and uh, that was the days when you had to hop on the bus in Turles. See his name, Dwyer's Bus of Broken Dreams, we used to call it. <laughs> and you'd get on the bus and you'd travel. It got just an awful journey over in the boat and then from Hollyhead across to London. And uh, yeah, I went working there for the summer. Um, and that was mad in itself too, when you think about it, because the 80s was desperate. There was unemployment everywhere. It was in, in England, Ireland, everywhere. But I had a brother in London, and uh, I sure I thought I'd go over for the summer and, and see what the crack was likely. I, I tried for all types of jobs. I I, um, I was... Uh, <laughs> I think about it. I was uh, I was nearly going to take a job as an Afro Caribbean hair and beautician. <laughs> <laughs> that would I, that would have stood to me now. So uh, yeah, I did, I didn't take that because it was too long of training. It was a couple of years, of course. I was really only wanted to be there for the summer. So I got a job in a laundry down the road in Streatham, where I was uh, I was checking the trucks coming in and out on the loading bay. So it's actually a handy enough number just rolling off the big cages and that and, and um it, it was funny I, I like i think you know i was t- thinking back on it god there was hardly even one black person in tipperary in turles uh, i'd never seen a, a black person before and now i was in amongst a whole group of different nationalities uh indian black all types and, and i the very first day i was working i remember uh hearing the accents coming out of the canteen thinking Crikey, there's a load of lads from Upper Church inside <laughs> the canteen. And it was a load of guys from Jamaica. They were great crack. So it just I, I swear to God, mm. in my, my ear, it just sounded like the same accent as as uh, Upper Church outside Turles. <laughs> <laughs> That's how naive I was. And Pat, was there an issue about you being only fifteen? Getting no, job. not at all. I, I I might have said I was a bit older. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, no, that didn't seem to be a problem. And it was a summer job, and it was no the guy, the guy who who hired me, um, London guy, he was great character. They were all great. I mean, it was like it was, it was a huge, huge laundry. When I say laundry, it's not like a place you drop your jacket or your shirt mm. in down the street to get it pressed. This was uh, we used to do like all hotels and everyone massively. I think Just it was the biggest size. Yeah, yeah. And actually, one of the events that I was asked to do was the um. The tennis, you know, in, in, in London there in the, Wimbledon, yeah. And uh, to bring the laundry, we had to take all the sheet the tablecloths and everything from Wimbledon, mm. the strawberry parties and all that. And then there was another big event at Buckingham Palace, but I couldn't go because I was Irish. Um you at see the it? time it was yeah, security issue because of my nationality and it would have taken too much to clearance and all sorts of stuff like that. So uh, we weren't allowed on that job. And did and you then go, did school, you get to Wimbledon? Uh, no, I didn't get there either because I think <laughs> the Queen was there that day. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, I'd imagine if I did get there I would have got in the loading bay 
<laughs> I wouldn't have got out the front. Yeah. But um, yeah, no. So it was it was it was fascinating like that. It was a great trip. But I do remember like I love my traditional Irish music. We used to, and my brother's a, over there was a great banjo player. So we used to go to as much um, Irish clubs, traditional sessions, that kind of stuff, as we could. And the the GLC at the time were doing loads of gigs, free gigs in '85. That's the council. Open air stuff. Yes, it was Greater London Council, GLC, and Ken Livingston. I think it was, I, I have a vague memory he was stepping down that year or something and Labour were losing, he was in Labour and he, yeah. they were losing their hold on, on the council. So they threw out loads of money. They spent every few bob they had left <laughs> in the council on, on free concerts for people. Um, there was a huge one in, in Battersea Park we went to. It was GLC Jobs, year 85. And um, I, it was the first time seeing the Pogues and the Communards and the Beat Farmers and there was loads of huge acts on and a lot of small, like the, the Poison Girls and the Red Chickens and all those. I remember those bands, a lot of punk bands and stuff. Um, it, would, it was an amazing concert uh, to go to at the time. But I used to go around, I used to have a, a Walkman. I had a ta- I had two tapes is all I had with me. <laughs> there were the times of tapes. There was no CDs or anything in those days. And the two tapes I had were, were Stockton's Wing, uh, Moving Hearts. So that was, yeah, I, I used to remember traveling on the top of the red buses, traveling around London with the headphones on and, and uh, the, the Moving Hearts blaring away with that fantastic saxophone playing. It says, uh, and, it's and a, yeah, it sounds a real idyllic kind of thing. And you were making money as well. Were you reasonably well paid? It wasn't huge. Uh, it wasn't huge when you barely covered the rent and and, uh, and going out at yeah. the weekends kind of thing. It was a great experience, I suppose. Um, I had I great, I had a great cousin over there, Bunty, uh, my cousin Bunty and Kitty, <laughs> <laughs> and he was a gas character. God, he but I remember the. <laughs> I was only 15 at the time. I shouldn't be telling this story at all. And I just landed in and we were down to the pub and there was all these Irish guys and builders and Connemara lads and everything there. And he said, what do you have to drink? And I thought, I'll have a pint of Smithies. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a big roar went up to the other end of the bar. The young fellow wants a pint of Smithies. And there was a cheer. Should he didn't sell Smithies. I, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a total... Uh, Young full of chance in my arm, but anyway, <laughs> did, you, did, did you have to come back and go back to school after that? I did, I did. I came back and that must have been hard, yeah. It was, it was odd, all right, to come back to Turles, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I did, I would have gone into sixth year then, so it was between fifth and sixth, uh, mm-hmm. the summer of that when I was in secondary school, and I would have gone in to do my leaving certainly. I left school in '86, so that was the following year, yeah. It was, it was strange, all right, coming back. Because it was definitely, I grew up over in London <laughs> in that summer. Uh, that's for sure. It was, it, was, it was mad, you know. Yeah. Your first musical choice is from Stockton's Wing. Did you get to know Mikey Hanron and the lads? I got, I got to know Mike and, and, and all the gang. And it was, I think one of the first times I met them was in the Bell Table in Limerick. I was doing a, there was a charity gig for the Bell Table. And uh, of course, Stockton's Wing had written a tune which became quite famous called The Bell Table Waltz or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, they were on the bill, and it was a, I, myself and John Kenny were on. It was very early days, it would have been 87, 88, around there. And uh, yeah, I ended up playing with them uh, on the same bill as them in The Bell Table. I remember slipping across to. Um, slipping across to uh, Kenny O'Brien's bar for a drink with them in between and just been blown away hanging out with these guys who I uh, a couple of years earlier been listening to them on the the uh, on on my headphones and just yeah. I could I could nearly give you every note of every tune they'd written on that album um so it was a huge 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 buzz for me to to meet up with them subsequently I got to know Mike really well then we 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 kind of crossed paths over the years on certain gigs and stuff like that and then many years later when I had the bar in in uh, Cork um Mike is a, a had 
given up music for a while and, and turned his hand to chefing and he'd been teaching in Ballymaloo. And I'd met him down there. The bar I had was only in, in Castle Martyr up the road. So Mike came up and, and we just kind of met one day and I said, gosh, I didn't know you were here and chatting away. And he was looking at moving on. And I said, well, listen, I'm looking for a chef and a head chef and that. And he came up and we worked together for three or four years in the bar. It was amazing, amazing, amazing time. And and subsequently, he's written a, a cookery book, which is a large section of his time in Cork. Mm -hmm. And it's called A Beautiful Affair, uh, the book, which is a, a fantastic book. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Beautiful Fair from Stockton's Wing, the choice of today's guest, actor and entertainer Pat Short. Well, you've mentioned your love of music. Tell us about that and how, where it came from and your family's involvement. Yeah, I suppose my music came from my dad at home. There's no question of it. He was a great fiddle player. Uh, I say was. He's still alive and he's very, very <laughs> healthy and fit. But the arthritis uh, kicked into one of his arms. So he it, he, just, he had to stop a number of years, but nearly 15 years ago, playing the fiddle. He couldn't play it, which was desperate because he was an absolutely stunning fiddle player. Um, anyone that ever heard him play. Oh, since he was a kid, um, his own background history is interesting, actually. He... he uh, from when he was a young guy, after doing his leaving cert, he went working in, in England on a farm of the Beecham's, Lord Beecham's farm. People would know um, Beecham's powders, but yeah. also the fact that Lord Beecham was one of 20th, 20th century, 19th, 20th century uh, most famous uh, classical composers in the UK. And, and he got to know him over there to the family. And then when he came back, he went to college in Cork UC, UCC and ended up uh, playing with Sean Arreda wow. down there for a couple of years. And then went up to St. Pat's in Dublin and trained to be a, a primary school teacher. Yeah. And he shared uh, rooms at the time with Ona Sulawan, the, the great actor and flute player. So when we were kids, they used to call to our house when they, the Abbey be touring in that and there'd be great sessions, <laughs> music sessions in the house. My dad and the gang of them there for uh, occasionally. Um, so he, look, he, he's had a great uh, uh, checkered career in music and uh, kind of gave us the interest in music then through the brass band and Turles and uh, playing piano at home since I was about six. Uh, we all played music. There was 11 of us in the family. We all played music. And then uh, I, around the age of 15, I picked up the saxophone and I got into jazz in a big way um, through an older brother of mine. I listened to a lot of jazz, Duke Ellington and uh, Dave Brubeck and, and uh, I suppose heavily influenced by Paul Desmond. Uh, people, if they they know that tune, Take Five is one of the most famous yeah. jazz tunes of all time. Um, well, that was written by, by uh, Dave Brubeck and Paul Desmond on alto saxophone. He was the sax player on that piece. But he's amazing, amazing saxophone player and, and uh, that's kind of how I got into music. Well, before we hear Paul Desmond, t take us back. That image of 11 of you playing, learning to play, did your dad teach you the piano or who, who was the teacher? No, my dad never taught me music at all. <laughs> and, he, and he was right. You know, he, he never wanted to turn us off music. This, this he always maintained. <laughs> Even though he used to teach music with Kildas and that, he, he, he did teach a lot of music in the school, never nuts. And I suppose, look, he was, as we got older, it was great to have sessions. But I, he always maintained if, if he started teaching us, and we've we kind of uh, you know had a, a, a dad and son row or whatever yeah. that it might just we might just dig in and go I'm not touching that again he didn't want that so we always had music teachers uh, piano teachers down the road um, uh, yeah and you all went there we all went to different teachers yeah the, yeah the girls would have gone to the convent to different teachers there and with the fatties up the road were teaching us piano when we were very very small. Well, I suppose I really, like, I love the pianos. Actually, so, would you really, here's another strange one. <laughs> Some of my older sisters were taught by Mrs. McNamara on the Late Late Show. Frank? Frank, Frank's mom. Ah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's a funny one. Except for Frankie would often be laughing. He, she never taught me. I was I was too young, but she taught my older sister's uh, piano, yeah. which is a gas one. Um, and you had the brass band, though. I mean, that in hindsight, that was a fantastic opportunity for a youngster, wasn't it? Oh, look, that was amazing. Uh, it was. We we like at, at the age of twelve, I played in Chicago in nineteen seventy nine in the first Paddy's Day Parade over there. We toured all over Ireland during the summertime band festivals and that. And it was like you can imagine at the summertime, mm. thrown out in fields and garden parties and all sorts of festivals and everything. And we used to look forward to it. We used to love it. And there was a good gang of kids in it. So we were all hanging out, playing music and whatnot. Uh, and it was great fun. And the big highlight, of course, Des, was the Munster Finals. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, the and the county finals. We used to play in them. Uh, I remember, actually, I was playing on the pitch. You'd remember the year of this. I was in 84, before, no, it was maybe earlier, when the big robbery was in Central Stadium. Oh, yeah, yeah, the cash and robbery. The, the, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And anyway, I was in the brass band that day. And I'll never forget it. We were all, because you'd play the teams around and then they'd all split up and we'd do the national anthem and then we'd all just, if it was a beautiful sunny day, you'd lie down on the sideline next to a load of guards or wherever <laughs> else was there and we'd all have our instruments beside us and we'd be watching the match and I, I remember watching all the, the great matches at the time and this day the guards just got up halfway through the match and ran across the pitch through the players and everything which was very unusual. Yeah. It emerged afterwards there was a big robbery in Semple Stadium that day. Maybe that's why they were nervous of you over in London with the Queen as well. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but the, that's... A, that's a hell of an image now that you could just lie on the side of the pitch and watch. I know, I know. You wouldn't see it now, but if you look back yeah. at any of the archive stuff, yeah. you can see it around the pitch. A lovely sunny day, just sprawled out watching the match. It's mad. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely image. But yeah. and is is it there you began playing the sax, or where where did the sax? Yeah, I I, I my dad had a sax at home. My my granduncle had played sax in Cayley bands in London and that way back in the forties and fifties. So I. Had in her, we had inherited his saxophone when he died in the 60s and it was in the house so I started playing alto sax from that um, and I had tried it out in the band the great thing about the band is there was so many instruments you could be trying out a fugal horn uh, trumpet, cornet, French horn, trombone, bass, euphonium all these instruments you got to play them all at one time or another and the saxophone of course so I liked the sax and then of course it was kind of cool instrument in my head you know <laughs> and because a couple of couple of pop bands at the time with sax solos and stuff like that and you're kind of going so I got into it a bit but the more I started playing jazz and listening to Paul Desmond and stuff like that I really really got into the saxophone and gosh I used to play it eight hours a day uh just get up in the morning and play saxophone before one school come back in lunchtime play for half an hour back that evening and play for four or five hours until they drop everyone demented in the house. Wow. Um, but it was great. I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Could you have made a living at that, do you think, Pat, had you not gone into broader level of entertainment and acting? Funny, I just, yeah, I could have. I, I was playing session with different bands in Limerick and playing with jazz quartets and playing with uh, rock bands and doing sessions and recording and all the rest. Um, and then, of course, I see I met John Kenny then and started playing a bit of saxophone with John and having to crack. And I, I really loved that. And got into that. And it wasn't until a couple of years in playing and working with John that I realised I actually wanted to kind of be acting more suddenly than playing music. You know, even though music is still a first love of mine, um, I really got into acting and, and the, the craft of that and, and loved it. And got was lucky enough then to get a role in Father Ted and a couple of other programmes like that. And that led on to a couple of films and stuff, you know. So it kind of slowly kind of, luckily enough, I was working away with, 
John Kenny done believables all the time, so we were able to make a living with that and, and dip in and out of the acting. Uh, but and then the music, I always try, I always kind of kept it up. But then there was a lot of years I, I kind of I had to put it to one side because I, uh, um, it, it was just it was so it was busy. Just, yeah, so yeah. busy. I couldn't be a regular with any particular band, you know. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One. That's Paul Desmond and Bossa Antigua. The choice of today's guest, actor and entertainer, Pat Short. Well, you mentioned they're having the crack with John Kenny, and that's what put you on the map. And, and it, in hindsight, when you look at you, had extraordinary success. I mean, the number of weeks you used to fill the big Dublin venues was extraordinary. You, you could fill it for months if, if you wanted to. I mean, I always consider you more an actor than a, an entertainer or a comedian. How do you see yourself? Yeah, I, I would actually say I'm an actor that, that does comedy. Um, as opposed to stand-up comic, um, who would would be more, uh, I do more characters and stuff like that, and and yeah, I I feel very much at home with acting and stuff. I've I've over the years I've done a lot more more films. I love doing the stage work, uh, where I'm uh, doing sketches and and doing my own shows touring the country, and it's it's great having the buzz of an audience and having a show under your belt. Um, but I, I always try and leave as much room as possible to do a few movies as well and TV shows if I can, you know. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and then I, after, like, sort of film Garage, uh, internationally, I'd be known more as an actor than a comic um, in the UK and places like that in America. So it's funny. And you went to Broadway as well, didn't you? I did, yeah. I did, I did West End and Broadway yeah. with um, a Martin McDonough play called The Cripple of Inish Man. And Daniel Ratcliffe was the lead in it. And... Uh, it was a huge Irish cast, a uh, great, great cast. Gosh, I, 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 even half the names now are gone from my I head. Know. <laughs> Ingrid Craigie, you know, Sarah Green, um, Conor McNeil, uh, Yed, um, but the joy of being part of all of that Irish group in the West End and Broadway must have been great. Yeah, and it's it's like these things, uh, Des, when you look back on them, you realize how big they were. So, like, when you're out there working and stuff, you're kind of, yeah, it's, it's busy and it's fun and. And it's a gig and you're thinking, what's the next gig? What will we be doing after this and moving on? You know, mm. and it's only then when you look back on it. Uh, I was talking to someone who came over to visit me recently, said it was amazing. And they were standing outside and I'm going, oh, my God, I'm on Broadway. And my friend Pat is on the stage inside, you know. Mm. And I, I kind of went, yeah, you're right. I didn't actually sit back and think like that while I was there. Mm. But when you look back on all the different things, we were the most nominated show for the Tony Awards. So. We were big. We were all invited to the Tonys. We were sitting at the big stage there with some of the biggest names in the world, and kind of uh, Clint Eastwood, in, in, you know, introducing us and stuff like that. And you kind of go, "Oh my God!" You know, you look back and that and go, "Jeez," you know. But that's it, that's it, an it, element of life, incredible. though, isn't it, Pat? I think as you get a bit older, you realise things are more significant to you as you get older when you look back at them. Yeah, because you probably I don't know you may never do it again, you yeah. know, and and you 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 begin to realize how important being on Broadway it's the biggest stage in the world, and not many people ever get to go there, and you happen to be there, and so it was, it was amazing, and I, I I think if I was ever there again, I'd <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy it a bit more. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean you're you're working nonstop, obviously, but you you're still writing a lot, are you? Yeah, I think well, look, that's part of the work of an actor nowadays. I mean. Uh, any actor will tell you that you have to create as well, and and uh, I I'm do I'm busy writing some stuff at the moment. I'm I'm working on a, a new live show. I think we you know we will go back to that eventually, 
and uh, I'm also looking at writing some stuff for online because that is where everything is at at the moment. So, um, so it's kind of, and they're all different mediums, Des, you know, mm. in a sense, you can, one doesn't necessarily cross over to the other. So it's kind of a different approach and I'm uh, kind of working all that out. But it, I mean, look, it's a tough situation we're all in at the moment, but I'm enjoying it as much as one can enjoy uh, doing the work, you know, and you gotta, you got to enjoy what you do. Sure. Your final musical choice, Pat Short, is Maura O'Connell. Tell us about why you... She means a lot to you. I just love Maura O'Connell. I think she's an incredible woman, incredible voice. Uh, she moved to America a number of years back, and I, it's almost as if we, we kind of—I wouldn't say lost her. She's still her music is still out there. I know she comes back and plays in Ireland quite a lot as well. But she's just an inc- incredible uh, voice. Uh, the tune I picked was "Feet of a Dancer," written by Charlie McGettigan, and it's it's a fantastic tune about you know about young people. Maura does a great introduction on one of the YouTube clips mm. I, I was watching recently uh, on the tune and it's just a, a, a beautiful beautiful tune and her voice is just one of the most amazing voices it's, it's frightening I remember hearing her first when she was in Daydan and, and uh, uh, Molly Deer and all that that early stuff and uh, just and then there's a another tune I can't remember the name of it. it'll kill me she, she sings in Irish and I just, yeah. I just listened to it over and over and over and over I just I couldn't you know, what an amazing voice did you did but, you know her before she left I no I never never knew more at all I, I did meet her once I, I maybe twice I met her in Clare uh, in Odie's bar one time because Mick Odie the painter yeah. would be a good friend of mine as well and we were over there at some exhibition opening and I think she was there and, and uh Ara, look, I was very young and I was afraid to open my mouth. <laughs> you know the way you'd be. Uh, but subsequently, I, I, I did meet her with Mike Hanner one time and, and uh, she's an amazing lady, but amazing talent, incredible talent. You're the only tip man I know who's picked two pieces of Clare music between Stockton Swing <laughs> and Maura O'Connell. Oh amazing. look, it's it 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 hurts me to but they are talented <laughs> over there. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> okay, well listen, we'll play out with that. And Pat Shore, thank you very much for joining us. Lovely to chat with you. And we'll leave with more O'Connell and Feet of a Dancer. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Des. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One.